Welcome to the 50 States Finish Line podcast, where we talk about running, road races, and all the ways running enriches our lives. I'm your host, Pam, and I've completed half marathons in 30 states and have run five marathons. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. For today's episode, I am delighted to be joined by a longtime Toronto runner who, as a way of telling you a little bit about her, has run the New York City Marathon 10 times, has competed in South Africa's Comrades Ultra Marathon numerous times, and has run the Boston Marathon at least 17 times. With these impressive stats, it may be surprising to learn that not too long ago, my guest threw everything out in her training approach before starting anew. My guest will share why she took that action and what her running experiences are like today. She recently competed in the London Marathon, and we were both in Toronto in mid-October, where she ran an amazing half marathon, and my son ran his first marathon. It was a spectacular race day. Welcome, Sharab. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about you as a runner? Like, when did running start for you? Um, hey, Pam, how are you? I'm um, great. Thank you so much for joining me. <laughs> uh, so when did I start running? Um, I think, you know, in terms of when did I start officially running road races, I'm going to say 2002 was my first ever road race. It was a half marathon actually here in Toronto, the the race that your son ran. Mm -hmm. uh, so I ran the half marathon, which was my first official road race. But before that, I would run on and off on the treadmill. So when the kids were little, it was just a way of kind of staying fit. Uh, I would do like boxing classes and skipping classes. And in between, I'd just jump on the treadmill and run here and there. So I've been doing that for, I think I've been doing that since literally I had children and my daughter is what, 28, 29. So yeah, if, if that's a long winded answer, but 2002 <laughs> mm. was the, was the year I first ran my first official half marathon road race. Nice. Nice. So when you and I were chatting previously, my understanding is you know, again, and you've got incredible statistics. So you went from doing that half marathon. Did you jump right into doing marathons? Was there, did you have a goal in mind as you started that Toronto race? Like when you finished it and finished strong, did you think, okay, now I'm going to jump right to marathons? Um, so what happened is I had, so here's how it started. I won this item at a silent auction, which is how this first thing start, this thing started. And at a silent auction, there was like a, a running, you know, road running kind of training group package that mm -hmm. everybody was bidding on. I had no idea what it was. I just put a bid on it. Um, and it turns out it was to join a local training group. Um, so, I, you know, I, I won that item. Um, and then I went to when I went to cash it in or call the number it turned out to be a local marathon training group. And so before I knew it, I was part of this pretty serious training group. And the thing to do was to train for a race. So I, you know, picked the local half marathon, which I did. Um, I don't remember anything about that race other than running it. Um, you know, I had a pretty good race. And after the race, you know, everybody in, in the group said, well, now, you have to run a marathon. So it was kind of like, I didn't really 
want to do it or needed to do mm-hmm. it. It was kind of peer pressure type of thing. And I remember there are a lot of seasoned marathoners in the group and I was like the newbie. And when we had the end of your party for, you know, the, for the training, that was actually after the marathon. And we were all sitting around the party and everybody was deciding like, what's next? And they said, oh, you know, you've done a half marathon. It's only like, it's only 30% more work. And now you have to sign up for a marathon. So, I mean, everybody was going to this marathon in Chicago. They said, oh, that's a great marathon. And I said, that sounds like a great road trip. The kids would love it. So, you know, picked the Chicago Marathon and picked Tinley up from school, I think, on a Thursday. She had a geo test on the Monday, and I was quizzing her on the test all the way to <laughs> Chicago. And <laughs> we stopped at Battle Creek, Michigan, and did the Kellogg's tour. And it, that's kind of how it all started for me. It, it was always about the kids need a road trip. You know, and then and then I ran Chicago. So imme- I pretty much immediately jumped into the full. Uh, so 2002, I ran the half. 2003, you know, I ran my first marathon, which was Chicago. Um, and then, uh, but then in between, somebody had said, well, you have to sign up for this unbelievable marathon, but you'll never get in. It's really hard to get in. It's impossible to get in, but you, you know, sign up and, put your name in the lottery and see what happens. I said, okay, well, where is this race? Oh, New York. You have to run New York, but you'll never get in because it's impossible to get in. Put your name in. So I put my name in and I got in. So (laughs) I (laughs) and everybody hated me. They were like, you got in. Oh my God. You know, nobody gets in. How'd you get in? I said, I don't know. I got in. So I ran Chicago uh, in 2003 was my first marathon. I qualified for Boston in Chicago, and then uh, two, I think it was, so Chicago's in October, a month later, I had gotten into New York, so I ran New York in November, and then in April, I ran Boston. That was marathon number one, two, three for me. (laughs) Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. So it sounds like in those early years of running, you you were racing, you know, racing all the time. I was, yeah, I was, you know, I was kind of, yeah, do you mean like racing through life or <laughs> racing through the marathon? <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Well, I guess I would say it strikes me as kind of unusual that someone would put three marathons or have three marathons on their calendar as a newbie. You know, that might be something that somebody who, I guess, Obviously, it speaks to your conditioning and your fitness and being able to yeah. do that. But that's that's hard on the body and the mind to kind and of you know gear up funny? for big marathons. And, yeah, but it's I, I love that you say that because I think what what was happening back in those days is and which is my philosophy now, 20 something years later, is you can't take yourself too seriously. Like, I mean, I was a mother and, you know, I was doing this to stay fit and the way my running shaped up, it was kind of like I wasn't trying to run three of these big races back to back. Like that's just how it happened. And back in those days, it wasn't, these races were big, but they're not as big as it is today. Right. Mm -hmm. And the timing just worked out that way. And the thing is, the thing that saved me then was I did a lot outside of the running. So yeah, I would train for the marathons and stuff, but I also stayed fit otherwise. So I would do like, you know, the gym, the strength work, like whatever I could 
whatever time I got aside from taking care of the children, I was trying to stay fit. And I think conditioning wise, that was kind of what was saving me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was it was hard. Um, Do you have but, some special memories from those early races? Was there something pretty special about running New York or yeah. running that first Boston? Well, New York was, you know, two, it was a month after Chicago. Um, and I had run Chicago pretty hard, obviously. Uh, so New York was just kind of like a victory lap. I was completely <laughs> overwhelmed because the support was unbelievable in New York. And the funny part about New York, the only thing I remember about my first New York is everybody talked about how P. Diddy was running it. Oh. And they'd be like, P. Diddy's running New York. P. Diddy it was all over the news. And so I'm running New York, and I'll never forget this. So mile 16 is the Queensboro Bridge, uh, which is uh, straight uphill, you know. It's, and mm-hmm. the bridge is extremely quiet for everybody, anybody who's run New York. So a pin drop silence and we're running up this long, hard bridge and it's really quiet. And somebody says, does anybody know where P. Diddy is? And everybody's like, no. And somebody said, does anybody even care? (laughs) We were like, no. And, you know, we and I actually passed P. Diddy uh, sometime in the race in the later miles. And he had like a full gang of like he had a posse with him carrying all his stuff. (laughs) And so it came out after, it was all over the news in the New York Post or whatever that P. Diddy kind of hit the wall because he lost one of those people who was carrying all his gels, oh. right? <laughs> <laughs> all I could think was, you you carry you have Sherpas carrying your gels? Like, you deserve to hit the wall. You need to carry your own shit through life. You can't pass that on to other people. <laughs> so that was a, that was a great New York memory and of course my little children were waiting for me at the finish line so that was extremely special. I mean it was only my second marathon so finished the race and Robbie my younger one needed to go to FAO Schwartz and Tinley had to go to some toy store and literally I'm still in my race gear with my mylar blanket on and we walked the entire day. And when I got back to wherever we were staying, I hadn't even showered. You know, it was just, it was just <laughs> running around with the kids all day. <laughs> well, so, some yeah, people, awesome. right? Some people leave their metal on all day. You had your Mylar blanket on all yeah, day. I had so, my Mylar on running around with the kids to toy stores and FAO Schwartz. And mom, you promised we'd go there. Mom, you promised we'd. I said, yeah, yeah. You know, mom, you told us if we let you run this thing, we'd go here, there, everywhere. You know, it was, it was, and now it comes out, now the data is coming out that the best thing to do to recover after a marathon is walk around. Mm. So, I mean, I learned how to do that right away. Thanks to my children. (laughs) Yeah, you are so, you are so right. Keeping moving is so valuable (laughs) in uh, in that fitness afterwards versus, you know, you see some folks who just collapse and um, then it makes it that much Well, the worst thing you can do is sit down. Yeah, can't do that. Right. So, yeah, that was, that was my first New York. It was really special. And of course, for my first Boston, it was also very special because it was the year of the heat wave. It was, 85 degrees in the shade and I had fever. So I ran that extremely sick. So mm. that was my my first Boston. So yeah, lots of lots of good memories. 
you know, and, and it's not surprising it's hot because I think that race is in April, which can be a pretty, a pretty, yeah. a pretty hard time, a hot time in New England. Yeah. One race yeah. I want to talk about that you graduated to after doing marathons was the Comrades Ultra Marathon in South Africa. Mm. And that's probably a race that maybe some of our listeners are familiar with, but not many might be. Yeah. So can you take us along with you on that going to that race? So I decided to run Comrades uh, as a gift to, as a 50th uh, gift to myself. I was turning 50 um, and I needed to do something really special. And um, I went to, I went to uh, run the Big Sur Marathon and Bart Yasso, who I love, he's a great inspiration. Everybody knows Bart. Bart was doing a talk on this race called Comrades in South Africa, which is where I got the idea. So I attended his talk at the Big Sur Expo, ran across the street to the hotel and ex immediately Google, 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 comrades, you know, ultra marathon. And it's this one of the oldest ultras in South Africa. It's, and it's I think it's the 96th comrades. It's kind of like the Boston Marathon of ultra marathons, mm -hmm. um, ultra races. It's, it's not on the trail. It's all on the road. And running comrades is a very, very, very special experience. It's it's more like it's less a race and more like it's it's the ultimate human. They say it's the ultimate human race. Um, and it's long and it's it's hilly. It's it's extremely hot. And for us North Americans, it's brutal because I was training through minus eighteen here in Canada. And then on race day, it can be, you know, up in the 80s because it's it's winter there, but mm -hmm. it's it's really warm. So it's it's a I mean, I don't even know where to begin with comrades. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful race. And it, it the race changes direction every year, like one year it goes up and then it starts in Durban um, mm. and then it goes to Peter Maritzburg, which is the down. And then the the other year it goes back. So there's a down year and an up year. So the race changes directions where it starts and where it ends. Interesting. And I decide. Yeah, it it is it. That's a that's a race that should hit everybody's list because it's more an experience. It's like now I don't know. Um, there's a gentleman. I think his name is Dave Obelisk. I believe. I don't know if I'm mispronouncing his last name. He holds the most consecutive New York City marathons. I think he's run like 45, 46 consecutive New Yorks. He's run the second one and he's run Comrades. And I met him one year in New York and he said there's BC and AC. And I said, what's that? And he said, there's life before Comrades and there's life after Comrades. That's, <laughs> that's how life changing this. And he goes back every year. Mm. And the thing about comrades, which makes it extremely special is you have a 12 hour cutoff. So I don't know if you know that, but there's, there's the race that the, they cut you off at there's a 12 hour limit. Mm -hmm. So people train for months and months and months. And then at 12 hours, exactly from the time the race starts, they shut it off and then you don't get a medal. Oh, so, People could run for 11 hours, 59 minutes, 59 seconds. And when that, there's like a wall of human beings mm. and they, sh they shut you off right at the finish. And then you, you start all over again. 
Oh my goodness. And it, it's, it's the most heart wrenching thing to watch because the, every year that I've gone there, like I've stood at the finish line and watch the people, the 12 hour people coming in and you literally see them like, right, like you literally see people almost falling, crawling, people just like going towards the finish line and that 12 hour thing goes off. They play this music that sounds like a death knell, like, and then boom, you're done. <laughs> and there are people who will come every year to start. There are people who say like, I started eight times I finally finished the ninth time mm. Mm. it's so inspiring it sounds so inspiring and I guess um with an ultra marathon time it so it's is it 48 miles I'm trying to remember what the distance is for that I think it's 90 kilometers so okay. it's like it's 56 miles I believe okay 56 ish my math is after and then the, the other thing about comrades which is really special is they count the markers down. So you start at like 89K mm -hmm. and the first kilometer will say 88 to go. <laughs> and you get to the next one, it's like 87 to go. So they count down. And then it also like, it's not a chip time, it's a clock time. So they place you according to your qualifying time. So you get your A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H corral. So to, and I think the qualifying time is like, 450 or 445 don't quote me on that four hours and 40 and so the slower you are the the more in the back you are from the clock mm -hmm. so some people would have been running for six minutes before they even cross the start line but mm -hmm. it's not chip time it's gun time so okay. that time that you took to get to the start line is included okay which makes it even harder for the slower runners because they've got five minutes already added on to their time, right? Right, right, right. Well, it sounds so, like a race that some folks might want to investigate, and I will add some details into the show notes, but it sounds to me you found your way there after completing some marathons and it being kind of the yeah. next logical the next logical step going from marathons going up to ultras. And I know there are a good number of them here in the U.S., but looking globally, that sounds like one oh, folks might want yes. to consider. And, the, and South Africa is such a beautiful country. And I have made, I have so many South African friends. It's, it's just that that's also the culture. It's not so much, it's the race, but it's also the culture, the people. Like it really, I mean, I think one of the things people always ask is like, how has running enriched your life? Like, this is how running has enriched my life. It has, I have seen countries, I have seen places, I have met people, I have friends there now. Like, you know, I mean, I think it was the fourth time I ran Comrades. I stayed with a friend in Johannesburg who I met through Comrades, you mm -hmm. know. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it is absolutely, definitely a must do for anyone. Terrific, terrific. Um, and the crowds will just carry you. We are going to take a short break. You are listening to the 50 States Finish Line podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the 50 States Finish Line 
Shrub, one of the things that I want to talk a little bit more about is this longevity with running. And one of the things that has struck me about you in one of our conversations, you mentioned how you, like many runners, I think maybe were struggling with kind of maintaining your typical pace. And you said to me that you had thrown everything out and were starting anew. And some of that starting anew was around looking at fitness differently than maybe you had previously. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because I think it's so important for our listeners to understand that your running may evolve and it may force you, as you have done, to really change things up. And and when you do that, you make some wonderful discoveries. So I'd love for you to tell us a right. little bit more about that. Um, so I think what happened is, you know, we were talking about comrades when we kind of left off there. And the thing that happens, I think, with running and especially with distance running as you get older. So what happens when you get older is you go one of two ways, right? When you age, and this mm-hmm. is also what the elites do. They either retire, the pros, they retire or, you know, they go they go ultra, ultra running. So, and that's what happens to recreational runners too. It's like, okay, so I'm a marathoner and, you know, I'm getting slower. So what I'm going to do is now increase my distance. And so I kind of dabbled in the whole ultra marathoning when I found comrades, you know, one thing led to another, you know, I did one comrades and I did two comrades. And then by the fourth one, both my Achilles were gone. Um, And so I was, I started to shuffle and then you get to the point where you wonder like, okay, I'm getting too old for this and everything starts to go and hurt. And, you know, my Achilles blew and it was just one thing after another. So you're showing up to these races, but you're tired and, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have that spring in your step that you once did. Um, and so I think the the ultimate for me was, you know, when I, you know, I'm always trying to qualify for New York and, you know, put in my half, half decent half marathon. And I, one year I couldn't do that. I couldn't qualify. Um, my Achilles was blown. Um, it was just, it was a shit show. Basically I was just out there hanging by the threads. And then, and then, and then it's funny because then people also start to like, nobody really tells you the truth. People are, Oh, you're so amazing. And you're so mm-hmm. awesome. And you've run this many Boston's and you are. Yeah. I run all of that, but I feel like a piece of shit inside. Like I don't feel good when I run. I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel the spring in my steps. So I thought like something has to change. And I just threw everything out the window and I said, no more ultra running. I'm just going to have to cut back and start back up from scratch. And so, you know, I started to, um, train again through COVID, through the pandemic. And, but then what happened is my, um, I started to get severe uh, tibia issues in my tibia. Mm -hmm. Um, And to the point that when we had the Boston Marathon, I could barely walk down the stairs. So the fall Boston Marathon, ironically, which was the day after my birthday, I was, I mean, I I just shuffled through that race like an old woman. I Mm -hmm. felt like an old woman. I probably looked like an old woman. I did not feel good, but I started and I finished um, and I came back. I hobbled down the stairs the next day and I thought, you know what, something's got to change. Um, And so I started to look look around, research around, see what was happening. Why is my tibia going off? Why are my Achilles weak? And that's when I 
landed on this whole foot issue, strengthening your feet, starting from the ground up, starting from the foundation, right? Because mm-hmm. what was happening is I'm also one of those runners, like I do all my strength work, I do my squats, everybody tells you to do core and do your squats and do your lunges and spend time in the gym. I'm doing all of that and I'm still getting hurt. And so that's when I realized that it was my feet that had to, like I had to change everything in how I looked at my feet, the foundation of of everything, right? Like Mm. they say the human foot has like, I actually looked this up. The human foot has 26 bones Mm -hmm. and 33 joints and hundreds of muscles and ligaments and tendons. And so it wasn't really that my conditioning was lacking. It was like my tendons and I had no tissue strength. And that had to start at my feet. Mm -hmm. And so I started to work on my feet. So I started to do like bare feet work, like wiggle my toes, you know, do like all of the stuff to strengthen the ankles and the feet. And as a result, the elasticity comes back. Mm-hmm. Your spring, it's like the fascia, right? Like it's fascia work. Everybody talks about muscles and this and that. Nobody talks about the fascia. Mm-hmm. It's the connective tissue literally in your feet. So that's what, and after, I've been doing this now for a year since Boston. Like I spent all summer running around on the grass. Like I would spend 15, 20 minutes, get up, walk around in the grass. Because what happens now too, as you get older, is people start throwing orthotics at you. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, or yeah. like those cushy older. hokas, right? Everybody's wearing yeah. their cushy hokas. Everybody's giving you pills and, you know, stuff and supplements and, ho- oh, oh, you know, and we used to joke, we used to say, oh, the hokas is the over 50 shoes. Like, you know, now you got People in their 30s wearing hokas. What's happening? Like, I think I'm happy for hoka. They're doing a great job. But that's a lot of padding to put between the ground and your feet, right? Mm -hmm. Like the human foot, I think, back from way back from the times of the, is it the Nian, whatever, the prehistoric times, like everybody ran around bare feet. Like the human foot has all the support it needs. But then we keep getting told we need more support. So everything gets stiffer. And and then you add to that, like runners now wear a lot of carbon plated shoes. Mm-hmm. So then you start to get the, get the plantar fasciitis and all of the foot things. So I literally had to cut back and start literally working from, I've, I'd never, in all my years of running, I had never paid attention to my feet. Mm-hmm. And so I did that and I, I'm, and I don't feel it's like night and day. In terms of when you run feeling, feeling strong and feeling the strength in the lower, the lowest part of your body. Yeah. The lower, like the knee, the ankle, you know, the calf, the tibia, like all the, the lower body, because what was happening is like, my ankles, people say, oh, you know, your ankles are going and then, you know, you should have, you know, you should strengthen your glute. Like, I mean, I can only do so many pistol squats and I'm doing all the glute stuff and my tibia is still going off and my calf is tightening up. And so obviously, instead of looking from like the knee up, I started to look, go down back to mm-hmm. my feet because everything starts from there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that I think has been huge for me. Absolutely huge. So I now spend like three days 
three days a week, at least like 10 to 15 minutes doing foot strength work. Like, and I used to do a lot of jump rope and like skipping is amazing just to stay fit. Mm-hmm. And I used to do a lot of skipping back in the days when I was a little younger, but I, I couldn't skip anymore because every, every time I jumped, it hurt. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of runners, you know, you'd ask them to do a skip or a jump. Oh, this hurts. Oh, well, if you can't hop, skip and jump, how are you running for miles? Right, right, right. Well, this is, you know, I think you're really bringing forth an important point around a willingness to to reconsider training, a willingness to kind of change perspective. And um, so I imagine you maybe run in those Vibram shoes and then yeah, you had mentioned I got, my, I got my first pair of vibrams so what i did is last year first i what i did is i started to step by step i started to run around on the grass bare feet it's easy in the summer mm-hmm. and then in the house i would just you know do like while i was making coffee in the morning i have like stone floors in the kitchen so i just like walk around back and forth in the kitchen while sipping my coffee and jump do a little bit of little hop up and down it doesn't take time and then go out and do some grass work, just kind of skip a bit, hop, like just just as we were children. What did we do when we were kids? Mm-hmm. You know, that's exactly what we have to start doing again. We forgot. We got all these crazy shoes, you know, with marketing and everybody throwing all this stuff at us with support. And so I had to go back to doing that. And then I changed my shoes like I got into ultras the ultra is like the zero drop shoes it has no like no arches it's basically like zero drop Mm -hmm. and so I started to wear that there's absolutely no support so you kind of break yourself in that you don't do all your runs in that you do like you know 20 minutes at a time 30 minutes and then I started to do all my runs in that and then literally at the London Marathon Expo they had a booth a Vibram booth and I bought my first pair of Vibrams and I have spent I'm running in Vibrams now on the grass. Nice. nice. And they feel amazing. Absolutely amazing. I've rewired my feet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you also, I think you just mentioned this idea of doing what's right for you and not buying into the marketing or not buying into other training plans. I mean, I know today we constantly are bombarded by um, things coming into our inbox, sign up for this race, right. sign up for that race, try this new shoe. And I think what you're also addressing is just staying focused on what works for you versus right. becoming overwhelmed yeah. or setting yourself back by either taking on too many races or changing up something that's not helping you strengthen your body. Right, right. And because after a while, I mean, I don't think these races care, you know, they're like, come run my race and come do that. And yes, I'll do that. But I'm running myself into the ground. And then social media doesn't help because you run yourself to the ground. And, you know, I mean, there's so many people that I see on my social media posts and they're talking about how many of these races they've run and stuff. And every time you read the comments, people are telling them how awesome they are, how amazing they are. And if people would just not say that, you know, because I'm just dying to say, oh, my God, you're running yourself into the ground. But like, I can't really say it, you know, (laughs) And you've got the hashtags like. That was me, like hashtag, I've run like 10 New Yorks. Yeah, I've run 10 New Yorks, but on my ninth New York, I blew, I tore my Achilles and cried myself through the finish line, you know, and that that's the reality of it. And I didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't want to be that runner. I want to be healthy, you know, I want to feel good and I want to feel that spring in my step. 
But when you get to our age, you know, I'm 57. And when you get to our age, and then there is this thing about society telling you, oh, yeah, you're older. Like, you know, like when I went to my physio, after I was shuffling through Boston, I, you know, I don't go to physios usually, but this one physio I went to, and she kind of perhaps suggested to me that I was too old to be training that fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I, I knew, I knew I had to look, I, I had like, you know, you were saying that my willingness to, to look for something outside, but that's, that's what you get to. Like when you get, when you get desperate and when you have no other solution and you can swipe your visa 50 times and buy all the potions and the lotions and the gizmos and the gadgets and the tapes. And, you know, I mean, you're showing when you're showing up to start lines and you've got more KT tape on your body than anything else. Like that was also me, like my ankles <laughs> were taped, everything was taped. And then you've got the compression socks and the Hoka shoes and not doing it. You know, <laughs> something has to change. <laughs> And so now it's like so liberating, knock on wood. Now, just as I say this, watch me go get hurt. But like, it's so liberating. I go to a marathon and all I do is put on my shoes and my socks. I don't have to tape anything. I don't have to hold myself together like a mummy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I so appreciate your perspective. And my sense is someone is going to be listening and will too appreciate this idea of kind of getting back to the bare essentials and continuing to love running, which is clearly, you know, clearly what we do, what you do. So at at this point, I just want to kind of um, turn to a couple of rapid fire questions. I think I get a sense in terms of your favorite running shoes are obviously maybe kind of more the low, low profile shoes or, um, yeah, like those Vibrams. My favorite running right now is the Vibram five fingers. I mean, I won't, I won't race a marathon in those. I don't think I'm there yet, but right now I'm going to say the Vibrams are unbelievable, but you have to work your way up to them and literally find the ground beneath your feet. Do you have a favorite tech item like a headlamp or are you a, a Garmin watch wearer? <laughs> uh, tech as in uh, like, watches or gear like running gear yeah either uh so i wear i wear i i've been wearing the chorus now the chorus watch for a while the battery life is amazing um i much prefer it to the garmin uh i think they've entered the market like two or three years ago i'm not sure i've had the chorus for a while it's a lot cheaper than the garmin has a lot more features uh you know than if you buy the Garmin with those features, it'll cost you a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. So, My son wears yeah, a Cora, like, so I know what you mean. It, He says yeah, the battery life love, is, is great on it. The battery life is unbelievable, especially for absent-minded people like us. Like, I always forget to charge my batteries, uh, and the battery can go on for years. So I love the course. In terms of gear, I'm like, I'm obsessed with the Patagonia Houdini running jacket. Oh, Okay. It's, it's my go-to. I love it. It's 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 kind of like I've had I've worn it for a while. It's like this jack. It's the Houdini jacket, and it literally rolls into a ball. You know, you zip it up, and I've taken that everywhere. I've taken it to races. I've done like Boston in the middle of a rainstorm where I've worn that Houdini. Like it's 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 an amazing. Patagonia makes some great wear tech gear. Nice. I will definitely. So one thing I, I will do is in the show notes, I'll put a link to that in case anybody wants to check it out. Yeah. And, um, 
you know, it's nice to have those tried and true pieces that that really yeah. work in so many different yeah. events. Is there something you say to yourself when the going gets tough, Sharab? Is there some little mantra you have? Uh, yeah, I mean, because I run all these races that cost so much money, I say, Sharab, you paid for this shit. Get your ass in gear and keep moving. <laughs> you are privileged to be even here. You paid a lot of money. Keep moving. Don't stop. Catch that woman in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do a lot of scolding to myself. And then I've also bribed myself. There was a year in Chicago, like I was just bribing myself because I had, I, you know, heart, my husband was still in Italy and I'd been like eyeing up these boots and I didn't buy them and he was still in Italy. And I kept telling myself, if you keep moving, you know, you're going to ask your husband to bring those boots back for you. So keep going, you know, earn those boots. Like, you know, bribe yourself. That works too. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing I've learned on this podcast is, is there's no, you know, everybody uses actually very practical ways to keep themselves going. You know, <laughs> yeah. there isn't like a fancy mantra that's going to make it any easier. Yeah, for me, it's kind of like I never... I can't, it works well for me if I scold myself. I'm better that way. I don't. I don't feel sorry for myself at all because I paid for that. You know, <laughs> nobody forced me to do this. I volunteered. <laughs> well, I've so enjoyed our time together, and I hope that we have the chance to line up together at a race sometime in the future. But I'm Thank so grateful so much, for having you join Thank me. You so Are there any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think the final thought I would like to share with everybody is regardless of who you are or where you were born or how fast you are or how slow you are or how old you are or how young we are, we all have within us what we need to succeed. It's within us. And so the job is to not pass the buck to somebody outside to do it for you. The most empowering thing is it's there within you. So reach in, be kind to yourself and know that it's there. That's it. Well, thank you so much. Those are really powerful yeah. words to finish our episode on. Thank you for tuning Thanks, in. Pam. Oh, thank Take you. Care. Thank you so much. Thank you Thanks, for tuning Pam. in to the 50 States Finish Line podcast. You can find episodes on all podcast platforms. Until next time, I hope you feel energized about planning your next race. Happy running. Happy running, Sharab. Thank you. You too. Bye, Pam. Bye.